Lord Jesus, we know that you're the only one that can give us that faith, hope, joy, and peace. So we ask that you would use your word this morning to help us find you. We pray this in your name. Amen. My sister-in-law makes the best chocolate chip cookies in the world, which is dangerous because nobody can eat just one of them. I have been known to eat 30 at a time. Honest. But I'm not the only one with the problem when it comes to her cookies. I remember one time I was staying with them, being woken up at about 3 in the morning to the sound of a chair being dragged across the kitchen floor. And I got up to see what was going on, and I went into the kitchen, and there was my four-year-old nephew with his hand literally in the cookie jar. And he knew he was busted, so he looked at me, and without missing a beat, he said, Mom told me to get up and get a cookie. (laughs) At 3 a.m. So I shuffled him back to bed, and then I went back, and I had a cookie. I was up. Why not? I could not control myself. Now, it's funny and it's humorous when it's a cookie, but there are all kinds of things that we can't seem to stop, all kinds of addictions and compulsions that we can't seem to stop doing, and they become a kind of bondage to us. The man in the story we just read is an example. The text calls him a demoniac, a man with an unclean spirit. Now, that's a little hard for us modern folk to understand because we don't much believe in devils anymore. And it's true that much of what people in the Bible ascribe to demons, we can now explain today with medical technology. You know, things like addictions and compulsions and mental illness. But just as a side note, I think it's also important to remember that the same Bible that affirms that there's a God, a proposition most of us accept, also affirms that there's a force that works against God and God's purposes. And call that what you will... The Bible calls him Satan. That force exists and it can influence us. In fact, in Scripture, the Bible doesn't so much talk about demon possession as it talks about being demonized, harassed by evil forces, impulses, pressures that take us away from God. And I think a lot of us feel that way in life. There's just something that's kind of compelling us to do things that we know aren't healthy. And it's a question of what is it that is controlling us? Is it the forces of evil that harass us? Is it our culture that tempts us? Economic concerns? Is it an addiction? What controls us? What are we in bondage to? Because even if those things aren't demons, it can feel like they are beyond our control or our ability to stop. The alcoholic who desperately wants another drink the anorexic who has an uncontrollable obsession to be thin, the person addicted to pornography, these people are in bondage. But also the person who can't forgive a relative or a friend, or the person who can't stop gossiping, even though they know it wrecks reputations that took a lifetime to build, that's also a kind of bondage. And then there are the various cultural captivities that all of us are subject to. Things like busyness, We know it's not good for us, but we just keep saying yes. Or money. We know it doesn't bring happiness, but we're obsessed with it. Power. The more we have, the more people just resent us, but we just keep grabbing for it. Stuff. We know that the new toy doesn't really satisfy for very long, but we just keep going from one to the next. Food. 
60% of Americans are overweight, and yet we can't seem to get control of that. Shopping. We know it drains our resources, but every time we buy something, it just feels so good, doesn't it? And so we just kind of keep doing it. Or entertainment. We know that too much of it can be a narcotic for our pain and a waste of time, but there we are with 100 channels of cable and DVD players and TiVo and surround sound all around us. Now, none of these cultural things are bad. They're all good things. And they're meant to be enjoyed. But if we begin to turn to them over and over again for comfort or for security or for significance, well, then it's an addiction. And that's a kind of bondage. And almost all of us, myself included, are addicted to something in that list. In fact, if you're married, as I was going through that list of cultural things, you may have felt an elbow in your ribcage at some point, right? Might want to pay attention to that elbow. Or maybe you're going back and forth. I don't know. Now, a lot of times these things are benign. But sometimes they have negative consequences. Our addictions can lead to loneliness. The man in this story was alone. And that is the result of our addictions. Either because we feel shame about them and try to hide them, which makes us feel lonely because then no one really knows us. Or in the case of a cultural addiction like busyness or entertainment, we're so devoted to our addiction that we don't have time for other people. So we end up lonely. They can also leave us feeling defeated because our own efforts to suppress them aren't sufficient. The man in this story was bound by chains, sort of a, a symbol of our own efforts to control our compulsions, but that never works. It's like shaking up a can of Coke. For a while you can keep the lid on, but eventually it's going to explode. So our addictions can leave us feeling defeated and lonely. That leads to a sense of frustration, desperate to stop it, but desperate to continue. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts this feeling when he says, the good thing I want to do, I just can't seem to do it. And the bad thing I don't want to do, I just I do it over and over again. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You ever feel that way? Like you just can't control yourself? Well, the great news of the gospel is that there is a deliverer, and his name is Jesus. And he comes to set us free from all the things that hold us captive. And he does it in a couple of ways. The first is he gives us the power to do it. He gives us the power to be set free. In this story, there's something supernatural that happens. Jesus shows up in this demon demoniac. He's got all these people, these, this legion of demons inside of him. And Jesus casts them out and sends them into the pigs. And the pigs go running off the cliff. And everyone's kind of horrified about the pigs. There's something supernatural happening. Jesus, when Jesus is present, it is harder for our addictions to have influence over us. A good friend of mine was struggling with pornography and he went to a Christian counselor and all the counselor did was said, just tell me about your fears, places you feel pressure, places you feel insecure. And the counselor just wrote those things down one after the other. Didn't say anything, just wrote them down on a list. And then when he was done, the counselor started praying for each item on the list. He said, Lord Jesus, take this fear and it's yours. Lord Jesus, take this insecurity, it's, it's yours. And my friend said it worked. That was the last time he struggled with pornography again. Now, I don't want to suggest that if we just pray about it, all of our problems will go away. A lot of times it's not that easy. And sometimes with some of our addictions, we need medical help or professional help. 
But nonetheless, there is a supernatural ingredient to these things. There is a spiritual component to these things. And without Jesus, we'll never be completely free. The second way that Jesus frees us is he offers us something more compelling than our addiction. You know, Jesus shows up on the scene and captures this demoniac's attention instantly. And that's what we need. We need something more compelling than our addiction to kind of capture our attention. Because it never works to try to run away from something, right? It never works. You have to run towards something else instead. Because if all we're doing is saying, I will not drink, I will not spend money, I I will not gossip, what are we thinking about, right? The money, the drinking, the gossip. Jesus gives us something to run to instead of run from. He gives us himself, but also he gives us an image of how life could be better with him. I had a single friend who kept sleeping with different women before marriage. And he'd say, I know it's wrong, but I can't stop. But God kept working on him, and gradually his attitude began to change from, I know I can't do this because God just doesn't want me to have fun, to something a little more accurate, to a vision of what life could be like with Jesus. One day he came to me and he said, I finally figured out why God says don't have sex before marriage. And I said, why? And he said, Because God wants me to have great sex. And I said, yes, that's true. And isn't that good news? God wants us to have a full and abundant life. And he knows that that sex before marriage wrecks that. Because the beauty of sex is it happens between two people who have promised never to leave each other. And that means you can be truly yourself. Jesus gave him a vision of how good things could be. And that made him joyfully wait. So the person addicted to busyness... Jesus gives a vision of having time for real community. To the person who's an entertainment junkie, Jesus gives a vision of the abundant, adventurous life. Jesus frees us by his power and by giving us something more compelling than our addiction. So what's our role in this? What do we have to do? What part do we play? A couple of things. The first is we've got to know Jesus. Because only he can give us the power to be free. The second thing is we need discipline. Just like it takes two blades of the scissors to cut a piece of paper, it takes both Christ's power and our discipline to free us from the things that are holding us captive. Discipline is liberating. I know that doesn't sound right. Sounds kind of like a contradiction, but it's true. Let me give you an example. We make our three kids go to bed at the same time each night, and it's early. Now, they don't always want to do that. There's usually some fussing and fighting. But, you know, when they get a good night's sleep, they have more energy the next day. They can play harder and longer. They don't get sick as often. The discipline liberates them. And, of course, you know who it really liberates. (laughs) is the parents, right? Every night at 7.45, when we close the door to our children's bedroom, my wife does a little happy dance. She goes, I'm free! Not that our children are a burden. We love them. They're a ton of fun. But you know what? Mom and dad need some downtime too. Discipline sets you free. The third thing we need to be free is we've got to want it. After Jesus frees this man, you'd think that the townspeople would start lining up to be cured of what ails them. But no. What do they do? They make Jesus leave instead. Why? He wrecked their economy. 
because he sent the pigs off the cliff. And they're more worried about money than the fact that here's this man who's been freed. Sometimes we care more about our addictions than anything else because we like them. We wouldn't do them if we didn't. They give us a thrill or they make us feel important or secure. Otherwise, we wouldn't do them. You know, that's the problem with sin. It's addictive. If you don't think sin is addictive, try stopping. (laughs) To break free... Took you a while on that one. (laughs) It's all right. You got it. Wake up, Presbyterians. Come on. To really break free, we've got to want it. Now, honestly, we're probably not going to want it on a surface level. Because, again, we like those addictions. But, but on a deep down level, on a deep down level, we got to want it. And I believe all of us do. Deep inside this demoniac was a man wanting to get out. And deep inside every one of us is a person who's saying, help me, I want to be more whole. Connect to that deep down want and Jesus can begin to work with you. We need Jesus. We need discipline. We need to want it. And finally, We need each other. One of the things Jesus does to free this man is he sends him back to his friends and puts him back in community. And just like the alcoholic needs a partner to help hold him accountable, we need each other if we're ever going to break free from all the cultural addictions we have. Our our oldest daughter is now in kindergarten. And already we are feeling the pressure we put on our kids in this culture to do everything. You know, be in every sport, be in every music event, uh, get perfect grades so that you can go to Stanford or something like that and spend the rest of your life trying to do everything because it's a ton of fun. Just look at me. Having tons of fun, right? That is a cultural bondage and I am imprisoned by it. So my wife wants to start what she's calling a dropouts club. She's taking all signups. If you want to drop out, just... Sign up. Not that we're going to drop out completely, but just a group of people who will at least try to not have our kids and ourselves doing everything that comes our way and try to have ourselves and our kids making choices between good things rather than trying to just pack it all in. And we figure that if we get a group of people that will do that together, we hang out together, and and if our kids hang out together, then we'll feel less like freaks in our culture for doing it. Because that's how you can feel, right? If you're kind of trying to slow down, like, oh, what's wrong with you? That's why we need each other, so that we can support each other. And this is where I think in our year of Jubilee, we as a congregation could have a huge influence on the east side. We could be like a breath of fresh air. You know, the Jubilee year in the Bible was all about setting people free. Every 50 years, God commanded that all debts would be canceled and slaves would be set free. And Jesus comes and he says that he fulfills Jubilee because the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jubilee is about freedom. And part of how God would want to use us, I believe, in our Jubilee year would be to set other people free. And I think there are a couple ways we could do this. To start with, we could just help someone who's struggling with an addiction by encouraging that person, praying for that person, holding that person accountable in a loving way. But more than that, I think we could help set captives free by refusing to be bullied by our culture. Flannery O'Connor says we have to push as hard on the culture as it pushes on us. 
And I think we could do that. Can you imagine if we as individuals broke free from just one cultural addiction in our year of Jubilee? What if instead of spending hours in front of the television in 2005, we committed to pull the plug every now and then and use the extra time to make dinner for some neighbors or better yet, invite them into our house and have a big old block party, make some community? What if instead of being addicted to passing on bad news and gossip in our offices, we decided to do nothing but pass on good news for a year? Think how that could lift the mood. What if instead of talking about our successes, which only makes others feel the need to compete, right? If you're talking about your successes, everyone just goes, oh, i got to beat him. What if in 2005, instead, we just simply focused on other people and asked them how they were doing and celebrated them and made them know that we accepted them regardless of whether they succeeded or failed? In an East Side culture that is just rampant with materialism, workaholism, and fear of being rejected, if we don't look perfect... I think we could set a lot of people free if we just broke free a little bit ourselves. A woman I know was addicted to shopping. She bought all the best clothes at all the finest stores. She even made sure that her kids had matching designer tennis shoes to go along with all of their outfits. It was intense. And she'd spend a lot of money and then she'd lie in the checkbook to try to hide the fact from her husband. Well, along the way, she started doing a Bible study at a juvenile detention center. And she met a a student there named Lopez. And Lopez was in trouble with the law for stealing. And as she got to know him, she found out that his family had immigrated from Latin America and they were poor, so Lopez's mother would go to Goodwill and buy all the clothes at Goodwill. The problem was when Lopez would go to school, he'd get teased by all the other kids for his cheap-looking clothes. So he started stealing so that he could have designer clothes like all the other kids. Well, when she heard this story, she realized that she had had a hand in creating Lopez's problem, that she had a cultural addiction to shopping and that that had been part of a larger cultural addiction that had imprisoned Lopez as well. So she decided that she was going to stop buying such fancy clothes, buy her kids good, decent, but normal-looking clothes, and spend the extra time and money helping Lopez get an education and get some decent clothes himself and help get his life back on track. She was in bondage. She felt like she had to shop to feel significant or have a good time or have fun. But when she stepped out to serve Jesus, he freed her, and in the process, he freed Lopez. What holds you captive? And how much... Loneliness, fear, and envy is that captivity creating for you and others. And what might you be missing out on because of it? Will you let Jesus set you free? And then will you participate with him in setting other people free as well? Because when we do, when we take time to support, encourage, and pray for the person bound by alcohol or pornography or eating disorders, then we are rolling back the tide of addictions that is wrecking so many lives. When we refuse to pack our schedules to the margins, but instead make time for God and family and friends and others, then we undo some of the cultural craziness that is making community impossible. When we break free from our own need to buy the newest and the biggest and the flashiest, then we act like antibodies in a diseased culture that has been taught that happiness is only a matter of saying, just charge it, and that is making millions of people miserable as they frantically try to keep up with the Joneses. 
When we refuse to boast and brag about our jobs, our houses, our achievements, then we liberate people from the fear, envy, and insecurity that is rampant in our culture. And then suddenly that portion of the east side that we touch becomes a better place, a more calm, more peaceful, less envious place. And we exercise some of the demons in our culture and roll back Satan's domain until the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to set the captives free and to proclaim liberty to the oppressed. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this good news that we do not have to be bound by the things that hold us captive, but that you have come to set us free from whatever they are. Lord, I ask that you would help us do that. Help us to live free from all the things that are binding us and only for you. And then, Lord, help us to do that in a way that joyfully and winsomely sets other people free as well. We ask this in your name, Jesus.